You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1146 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the podcast today and making Locked on Hawks podcast your first listen each and every day. Check us out on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Today's show will break down what became a home loss for the Hawks at the hands of the Chicago Bulls. And uh, the Bulls were red hot in this contest. That's one of the overall takeaways from this game we'll get into later on. But the big news, other than the loss, was the return of Trey Young, who missed three games in the health safety protocols. That was a late addition, kind of a surprising one for the Hawks, and it gave him a sort of a puncher's chance in this context. With uh, with Trey coming back, it definitely helped things along. But the Hawks were still without 12 players, in the uh, 10 of which, by the way, were in the protocols still at this point in time. So the Hawks were playing without... You know, more than half of their rotation from the preseason still without uh, you know all kinds of key pieces playing guys who were signed in ten day contracts. So, um, in terms of the result, we'll get into this later on. But it was not like you know hugely. Um, I would say it wasn't a huge indictment of the Hawks. Let's just say to lose this game at home, even though they were competitive in this game. The Bulls are pretty good, and they did shoot the heck out of the ball throughout this contest. But we'll talk about all of that. Um, giving you some context though before we get into the actual game itself. Um, DeLon Wright was added to the protocols on Monday morning. He was the 13th player out at that point. It became 12 because Trey ended up coming back. But the word did not break about Trey playing until after Nate McMillan spoke to the media. So less than two hours before tip-off, the Hawks didn't know. Multiple guys, including Cam Reddish, said that they didn't know Trey was going to play until he walked in the locker room. So it was one of those things where it was a very, very late addition. Um, the Hawks did go 1-2 and two without Trey. But um, honestly, credit to him for staying in shape and using the treadmill. He talked about that after the game tonight, but um, he hadn't touched a basketball in eight or nine days at this point when he ended up coming back into the game tonight and, um, you know, didn't necessarily have, you know, show any like, ill effects of that, but he played the entire first quarter and was definitely uh, hitting the ground running, but still, the Hawks only had 11 players active in this game, and there were no power forwards basically available for Atlanta, which definitely, uh, you know, we can get into all of the context of that as well, but I talked about that with Glenn Willis a little bit on yesterday's show, about an hour discussion that I had with Glenn. That's still very much relevant, by the way. If you if you missed that podcast, uh, if you listened to it, I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't listen to it, it's still very much um, something you should listen to, even with the results of this game, because the Hawks do play the Bulls again on Wednesday, and we talked about other stuff as well. So that's still in the uh, archive if you missed it. Um, one note on the new... Uh, NBA standards and quarantine procedures, et cetera, for vaccinated players and coaches. They can clear quarantine. Players came. Um, six days is now the uh, the break-even point rather than 10 after uh, some changes. Um, they still have to meet a new standard in terms of uh, cycle threshold and all kinds of medical jargon that I'm not going to get into now. But that was one of the reasons why Trey was, was able to get out of the protocol a little bit early. That could pave the way for the Hawks to have some guys coming out of protocols in the near future, maybe even as early as Wednesday. But we'll... Uh, Spread the uh, details on that for now, but uh, at least that's something to potentially have the Hawks get some guys back in the near future. It is worth noting Chicago was not 100% either in this game. I was joking about this after the game, but there was an argument happening in my Twitter mentions after the game between a Bulls fan and a Hawks fan where the Bulls fan was uh, insisting that the Bulls were, had, were in a similar position to the Hawks in this game, which is clearly not the case. Uh, Chicago was missing two key pieces, I would say, in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, as well as some depth guys. Patrick Williams out for the year, but... Um, it was apples and oranges. The Bulls had all of their guys uh, in terms of their best players other than Lonzo and Caruso. Uh, the Hawks did had, the Hawks were missing basically almost everyone. Um, so I get 
some context there in terms of Chicago not being 100%, and they won a back-to-back with travel, but still, uh, one team was much healthier and more complete than the other. Um, our friends at Online actually made the Hawks three-and-a-half-point underdogs in this game, and when you factor in that the Hawks had the rest advantage in terms of the uh, they did not play yesterday and they were at home, that's worth probably four, maybe five points combined. So with that, the Hawks were still underdogs in this game, because, and that's also with Trey Young back. So if, the, if Trey hadn't played, the Hawks would have been bigger underdogs. It was probably seven or eight points. Um, still, though, that kind of tells you what the roster, the roster situation was in this game, because if it had been on neutral court, um, on neutral rest, Chicago's probably favored by you know eight to ten points, even with Trey playing. So we'll get into all the uh, game stuff now, but that's some at least context for this contest uh, coming into the night. So uh, Trey looked good early on. He created the first three buckets of the night, um, all on passes, two passes that were pretty easy to Capella for dunks, and then a quarter three by Cam Reddish. Trey was attracting a ton of attention, as he often does. The Hawks led 14-9 and nine the first time out, and he had accounted for 12 of the 14 points. I thought Capella was pretty active early. He slowed down a little bit later on, but I think he was at least um, you know flying around, giving some good energy in the early going. Um... Trey had 10 points in the first seven minutes. Looked pretty crisp, honestly. He did, he did cool off. It's worth noting that while he gave them a lot, and I'm not, I'm not picking on him at all, he kind of lost his shot um, after the first wave of offense. He was uh, pretty cold. I think he was 315 from the floor in the last three quarters. So not going to blame him by any means, and he was still a positive offensive player, but he did cool off a little bit after that hot start. Um, they led by nine, actually, in the first quarter after Trey created another open three for, for Cam Reddish, who was good in this game. We'll get into him later on. Um, rotationally, they played Skylar Mays and Gorgie Jang as the two most prominent reserves. They came in for Bogey and Capella early on, and they took Cam out for Bogey again. Um, they've kind of been using Madonavich in these short stints, which makes some sense as he comes back from injury. Um, then they actually started Shondi Brown in this game, which I neglected to talk about earlier. Shondi Brown, they just signed <laughs> uh, to a 10-day contract, but they started him at power forward in this game. He actually ended up playing 30-plus minutes. And people were wondering, A, why he was playing so much, and B, why he started. And it was because of what I referenced earlier. The Hawks had no power forwards available in this game. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Uh, when the word broke that the Hawks were going to sign Shawnee Brown before it was even official, I made uh, a quip on Twitter like, look, Shawnee Brown is probably the closest thing they had to a power forward. And... I was I was being serious about that, but people have kind of noted that he's only 6'5", 6'6", and I'm not saying that he's definitely a power forward, but he's played a little bit of power forward in the past. He played the four in, he played the four in college. He's been playing the four a little bit in the G League, etc. And, you know, is he a perfect power forward? No, he's not. But Nate kind of said after the game as well that, you know, that he was their closest thing to a power forward. So he ended up starting him, playing him a bunch of minutes. He's not a great offensive player by any means, but he gave them good energy. They played reasonable defense. Malcolm Hill came in later on. We'll get him, uh, him his contributions later on as well. But they, you know, considering the situation, they got a lot from Brown and Hill in that role. But still, no one would say that's a great situation. You don't want to be playing 10-day guys at power forward the entire night, which is what happened for the Hawks in this game. Uh, and also, Trey played the entire first quarter, um, which is crazy, but so did, Sh- Sh- so did Brown. So he signs a 10-day contract, didn't know anything, hadn't had a practice, and played the entire first quarter, which is uh, not the usual, let's just say. Uh, the Hawks led by five at the end of the first quarter. They scored great. They actually scored about 1.6 points per possession in the first quarter. That's fantastic. They shot 5-11 from three. No turnovers, four offensive rebounds. Trey had 12-5, and five, came at 11. And the Hawks were only up five because uh, the Bulls made a bunch of shots, which happened throughout the night. So Chicago had six threes in the first period, 
and they never cooled off from there, as we'll get into later on. Um, the start of the second quarter with Cat Barber playing with Skylar Mays a little bit. They brought in Lance Stevenson as well. Those guys only played that one stretch in the entire game. It was basically an eight-man rotation after halftime. And honestly, I'm not sure why they didn't play Skylar Mays more. Um, there was no really reason to play Cat Barber. I'm not, that's not like a, a shot at Cat Barber. But they didn't start Mays, which I thought they might do. Um, and just kind of go really small. But because they didn't do that, I thought it was pretty obvious to just play Mays as the backup point guard plus more. And for some reason, they didn't really do that in the first half. They did in the second half, to be fair. But that was kind of an odd choice. Um, they, the league got down to one early on. DeRozan was hot. He had, seven, had 17 points in his first 11 minutes. And then Levine got hot from there. Actually, a nice drive and finish from Shawnee Brown to uh, give him a, a bucket in transition. Um, it was pretty close. Middle part of the quarter, Trey got a technical foul to give Chicago their first lead. It's 6-5 to five at one point. But then late in the half, a 10-0 run by the Bulls to kind of take control in some respects. And they led the rest of the night from there. Um, the Hawks did come back a few times and make it competitive. But Chicago was in control the rest of the night. And Levine hit a three at the buzzer to cap a 23-12 to overall close to the half from the Bulls to go up by six at the break. Um, and given the fact that the Hawks shot the heck out of the ball in the first half to be down six, that's frustrating. They played great on offense throughout the entire first half. Trey had 17 points, six rebounds, sorry, six assists. Uh, Kim had 19 on 10, uh, 11 shooting possessions. He was awesome in this game offensively, but they just couldn't get stops. The Bulls only had one turnover in the first half. They shot 55 percent from the floor, 50 percent from three. Um, Levine and DeRozan had 44 points combined in the first half. So um, some wild shot making, to be sure, which is the theme of this game, is that Chicago just made a ton, and I want to stress, a ton of shots. But the Hawks just couldn't get enough stops to uh, win this one, and that was kind of the theme of both the first half and the full game itself. Before we get to the second half of this game, and there's plenty to discuss, plenty of context and all kinds of takeaways and observations. Uh, before we get to all that, though, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Truebill. Do you know why free trials are new without your consent? It's a business scam that's out to get you. Don't let corporate greed pocket your money. Instead, download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, don't want, or simply forgot about. On average, people can save $720 a year with Truebill, and because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there right with you when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. And Truebill is awesome for someone like me who has a ton of subscriptions across the landscape. Sports makes it so I have to keep a wide swath of information. It's really, really valuable to have Truebill to make sure that I don't get bamboozled. Truebill has over 2 million users and it's helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands per year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, and the second half was uh, more of the same in some respects. The Hawks ended up losing every quarter other than the first in this contest. And honestly, it was the defense most of the way. The Bulls scored 29 points or more in every quarter, and that was the case in the third. The third was the ugliest quarter of them all in terms of uh, the least offensive proficiency on both sides, but it was still an offensive-driven uh, quarter overall. The Hawks, though, did get um, within only a couple points early in the third quarter after, after a bogey hit had a three at the outset. And Capella got an offensive rebound, but the Bulls then scored six straight points um, to get back up by nine. And the Hawks were kind of, I would say, sloppy early on. Both teams were, in some respects, in the third quarter. Um, rotationally, though, as I sort of mentioned before, only eight guys played after halftime. That was the right decision in my mind in a competitive game, but uh, that's at least worth noting that they had to push a little bit harder than they maybe wanted to in this game. But it was kind of a slow fade by the Hawks in the third. They trailed by as many as 14 points 
um, couldn't score at times. They went to a zone, actually, at one point that was uh, not effective. Matt Thomas shot them out of it for the Bulls. Um, back-to-back turnovers at one point from Cam and Charay to lead the lead straight to buckets. That was uh, not great timing either. They brought in Malcolm, Malcolm uh, Hill for the first time in his Hawks career for rotation minutes when Brown got his fourth foul. I thought Hill was pretty good, too, as I saw a reference before. They got a lot of those guys, at least in uh, terms of defense and energy. But um, they they kind of had a 9-2 to run late in the quarter to get back into the game a little bit. What it felt like, it was kind of teetering. If they had gone down by 20, it might have been over at that point in time. But Gorgie had a nice block on, on Zach Levine. Uh, Bogey hit, actually got fouled, and Gorgie had another three. So um, at one point, Jang was 5-5 five of five from the floor and uh, definitely uh, you know making a bunch of shots, um, which, is, which was helpful at that point in time. But they were down 11 at the, going to the fourth quarter, uh, and they kind of just stopped cooking offensively. And it was pretty clear early in this game that they were going to have to outscore the Bulls. Um, it just didn't happen in that third quarter. In the fourth, Hawks did have one more uh, big run in them. It was an 8-2 to two push to cut the deficit down to five. Uh, threes by Bogey and Cam, and a dunk by Skylar Mays. Uh, Cam was red hot, making a bunch of jump shots, and uh, that was happening throughout the contest. Um, they were down six with Trey coming back in with eight minutes to go, so they had a good, uh, I would say, a pretty good job staying in the game with the bench, uh, guys like guys like Hill and Mays, etc. Um, Cam actually had his career high for threes with like eight minutes to go because uh, he just kept making a bunch of shots. He actually, uh, his career high was six before this. He uh, exceeded that in this contest. Um, they had it down to four with five and a half minutes to go, but the Bulls came out of that break and scored five points in a row. Um, with Cam and Gorgie missing pretty decent looks. Um, they actually went to went, went back to Capella after that because they rode Gorgie for a long time because he actually just had a lot going on for him offensively. But from there, it was basically in that 5-8 to eight range the deficit was until the closing minutes. Um, the Hawks were down by 7 with 3.30 to go. And out of the timeout, um, Vucevic for the Bulls banked in a 3. If you want to probably point to one possession in the entire game that might have like signaled what the end of the game was going to be. It was going to be that one because you go from down seven to down 10 with like three minutes to go. It's not over at that point, but um, that was a big shot and a bad time for the Hawks. Um, and they kind of struggled to uh, generate offense down the stretch. And, uh, you know, it is what it is, but they had four straight empty trips at that point in time. And it was kind of over because the Bulls just kept scoring. And uh, that was that. Um, in terms of takeaways from this game, uh, everything I want to stress, everything is at least grounded in the fact that the Hawks were so short-handed um, that it's tough to you know make sweeping indictments of anything that happened in this game. But if you want to know the reason why they lost, it was the defense, pretty obviously. But um, some context here. So the Bulls shot 33 of 67 outside the paint in this game, which may not seem like anything crazy to you. But a team that shoots 50% outside the paint for the full game on really big volume, uh, you're going to be in some trouble. And this is the even crazier one. The Bulls were 29 of 56, so over 50% from outside of 14 feet in this game. Uh, That's impossible to overcome, basically, unless you were just unbelievably hot in your own right. And given that uh, 18 of those makes from outside of 14 feet were from three, they scored 76 points on 56 shots outside of 14 feet. And, you know, that's the game right there. Um, if you're not familiar with just kind of the whole math game of the NBA, but uh, the Bulls are not exactly the greatest perimeter shooting team in the world. They have some guys who can make a bunch of shots. You know, Zach Levine's a great shooter. He's a prolific guy. Um, DeRozan is more of a mid-range guy for sure. But they have, so they have some shot making, obviously. Vucevic is a good shooter for a big, etc. But for them to shoot that well 
Um, you know, some of that maybe is the Hawks defense, but it is fair to say, and I was kind of running this by Bulls people as well, that are more closely observing the Bulls on a nightly basis. Uh, they were remarking just how outrageous the shot making was the entire game. So it was a perfect storm for the Hawks of both being shorthanded and not great defensively on the perimeter anyway, and then Chicago just going nuclear, making a ton of shots. Um, that's going to be obviously hard to overcome, and uh, some of it's preventable for sure, but there was also just some, a lot of shot making by the Bulls. Um, they basically broke even on the glass and in the turnover battle for this game for the Hawks, and they actually had the edge of the free throw line in both accuracy and volume, but the shooting um, from the floor was by far the biggest swing in this contest. The Hawks actually scored enough to win. Uh, I think Trey said that as well after the game. The Hawks scored about 121 points for home possessions. That's excellent offense. And given what they had available, that was really impressive what the Hawks were able to do. Um, 15 of 34 from three is going to be really good. 44% from three. Um, didn't shoot great from two-point range. It actually was, they were four of 17 from floater range. That, you know, that outside the paint, but not long enough to be a jump shot kind of range that the Hawks are usually decent at. And they shoot a lot from there. You know, Trey, Trey in particular. That was that was a rough spot on the floor for them in this game. Um, Trey did struggle a little bit after the first quarter in terms of just making shots. But um, in general, you can't really ask the Hawks to do much more than they did offensively in this game. And uh, it was just the defense and being un unable to stop the red-hot Bulls that kind of sunk them along the way. So, I mean, overall, uh, can you be happy with giving up that kind of offensive performance to anyone, much less a team in the Bulls that's good on offense but not, like, capable of doing this most nights, um, and they were shorthanded in this game as well. That's tough, to be sure, but um, you know there is some noise there. And I will say, point of attack defense has been a problem for the Hawks all year. If there's something that I would point out as probably the number one overall issue as far as the team's concerned for the Hawks' issues overall, because you know clearly the Hawks' offense has been good this year. Defensively, it's not been very good this year, and I think the biggest issue on defense has been the perimeter defense, and uh, that kind of supplemented in this game, even when I will definitely account for um, the Bulls shooting above their heads a little bit. All right, with all that said, we'll get into some individual takeaways from this contest in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march to the College Bowl season and then from there to the pro football playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the sports action this season and every season. You can head to the website right now at betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. To get that bonus, use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive 50% in extra cash on your first deposit. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, and much, much more. In fact, basically everything in the sports world. You can get all of it at betonline.ag and do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for this season and every single season after that. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports, so don't wait. Take advantage of the offer that we are giving you right now with promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll close the show now with some individual breakdowns in this contest. And again, they only played 10 guys. Only eight of them played real minutes. Uh, four minutes from Lance Stevenson and Cat Barber. Not a lot to take away from either one of those guys in this game. Malcolm Hill um, played 15 minutes, didn't take a shot from the floor, got, got to the line for four attempts. 4.3 rebounds and a steal. I thought he actually played well, gave him good minutes. I don't know if he'll keep playing. I don't know who's going to be available on Wednesday. That's obviously the big question at this point. But if they were similar to tonight in terms of available players, then I think he should definitely play. He gave them a little bit, a little bit of juice off the bench and uh, helped them defensively. Uh, Skyler May I thought was good. Probably should have played more. Six points, two assists, and a rebound. 
I think that Mays should be should be playing more overall anyway, as I said before. But um, I think he just kind of done his job pretty well, um, filling in gaps, playing good team defense, especially his off ball movement. It's always really good defensively, and um, not the greatest like creator off the dribble in the world, but a guy who can do that a little bit, can space the floor a little bit, play good defense, and kind of be a well rounded contributor off the bench. I thought Gorgie Jang was good, and particularly in the first two and a half, three quarters of this game. 12 points, five rebounds, and three assists to go along with the block shot. Um, he isn't always going to be super hot from the floor like he was in this game. Made the first five shots that he took, but hit two threes, gave him good spacing, and um, they were able to navigate all 48 minutes with Capella and Jang on the floor, which is which is very clearly uh, important because they were all they had in this game. They had some foul trouble or whatever happened to either one of those guys. They had been in some serious trouble, but they ended up playing enough, and they actually went to Gorgie probably longer than they uh, normally would have because he was playing well in the second half. Um, to the starter, Shawnee Brown, uh, clearly a weird inclusion here. 30, 30 minutes, uh, did have four points, nine rebounds, and two steals. Um, played hard, obviously not a huge offensive plus. He was one of four on twos, 0 of three on three, so nothing to be uh, too excited about there, but I thought he did an admirable job um, playing defense, running the floor, being physical, um, just kind of giving them energy off the bench. Well, actually, not off the bench. He started uh, in this game, but uh, in that role of just energy guy, I thought he was that was appropriate. Um, could they have gone small a little bit more, maybe, and you know, gotten more out of Mays or Stevenson or whatever? That would have been reasonable to me. But uh, it is a different job in Nate McMillan's system to, to be play, to playing the four versus playing the one of the wing spots. And uh, they uh, sort of assigned and thought that Brown was the most appropriate guy to do that, which I think was probably the case in this game. Um, elsewhere, uh, Bogdanovich was better in this game offensively, had 20 points on 16 shooting possessions. That's enough um, juice from Bogey most of the time. Um, three of six on twos, four of nine on threes. That's good volume for him. Um, always want to see Bogey be aggressive. And I think he's had a struggle of a season so far uh, between the injuries and Misses some shots, and defensively, I think he was not very good in this game, as he has been all year long. It's been a problem, and I've, I was someone who, coming into this season, would have told you that Bogey's probably underrated defensively, but he's very much struggled this year, and that was still the case in this game. But played 41 minutes, um, largely looked like himself, which is good to see. There's a couple of shots that you, you probably wants back, but you can't really argue with the production that he gave them in this game and actually led the team in minutes overall. Um from there, we're going to click Appella. Uh, kind of a weird game for Clint. He played 26 minutes, which is probably less than I would have thought coming in, but Gorgie was pretty good. Um, eight rebounds, uh, sorry, 8.16 rebounds to lead uh, everyone except for Nikola Vucevic in the game. Um, and given that, you know, rebounds per minute, that's a pretty darn high level. He led league in rebounding last year, etc. But only one block shot. They have three assists, but was four of eight from the floor and 0 of two from the, uh, from the free throw line. So, four, uh, so eight points on nine shooting possessions for, for Capella is, is bad. Um, that goes without saying. I think defensively, he was not the problem in this game, but he also wasn't a huge part of the solution. You know, famously last year, I banged this drum quite a bit that um, he really kind of carried them to what amounted to be about a league average defense for large portions of last season. And it's because he was awesome. And that was the biggest part. Uh, this year, he's been much more ordinary. Uh, I don't think, I don't, I, I, this is interesting to kind of explain and talk about. I think Clint has not been the problem this season. I think he is still playing at a capable starting center level, but he's not been the same guy he was last year. That is definitely worth driving home. And you see the difference between, um, you know, I think, again, the bigger issue is the perimeter defense, but last year he cleaned up a lot of that. And this year he's just kind of doing okay. Um, there's been a lot of push for a Congo, which I will do another, another time. But I think it's both appropriate to say that Capella is not the problem, and also to say that he's not been the same guy he was last year, that's definitely the case, and 
uh, honestly, for the Hawks to reach the, their their goals with this roster, he has to be awesome, and he hasn't been, if that makes sense. So I'm not piling on Clint. I think that he's gotten a little bit too uh, too much judgment in terms of the negative from a lot of fans right now. I think he, there's like a lot of like real vitriol for Capella, which I don't really understand. But it's also worth, again, driving home that he's got to be better than this. Um, that is the case. And just because the way they built this team, and particularly the built the defense, is that last year especially, they built it around him being awesome. And that worked for them. But if he's not awesome, then they have some real trouble because they have a lot of weaknesses between guys like Gallinari when he plays. And, uh, you know, tonight it was not like there were huge individual um, issues other than maybe Trey and Bogey. Everybody else that was playing was at least capable on defense. But we saw then even they kind of filtered things about Capella and he wasn't like dominating and cleaning up the messes. And, you know, this is a bad example because Chicago was so perimeter based in this game and they didn't have a lot of success getting to the rim or um, shooting at the rim. But I think Capella's got to be better. That's uh, worth pointing out as well. Uh, and finally, the two guys who had a big offensive nights in this game, um, Trey Young, 29 points, 9 assists in his return, 2 turnovers. That's obviously very, very solid. Got to the line for 12 free throws, and that really helped to boost his efficiency because he did not shoot well from the floor. 8 of 23, 7 of 17 on twos, 1 of 6 on threes, um, but still actually scored about a point per possession when he had the ball, uh, 29 points on 29 shooting possessions. So, that even there. Um, the passing was was real, and we saw that even, I would say, from the opening moment of this game, it was so obvious that he drew so much attention that he was able to find guys, and uh, it's it's night and day. This is not breaking news to anybody, but it's night and day when Trey's on the floor versus when he's not on the floor for the offense overall, and that was the case in this game. So good to have him back. Um, he'll have an opportunity, hopefully, to get some win and get some more, uh, not, not even a huge practice time, but just like some shoot-around time on Tuesday, and that will probably help him get even more comfortable. Um, and obviously, again, huge plus to have him around. Uh, and then Cam Reddish had an awesome night at the office. Only 3 of 10 on twos, but 8 of 13 on threes. That's a career high for Cam. Uh, it goes without saying, and I've said it a ton, but when Cam shoots the ball from three with his feet set, the results have been awesome this year. Um, that is just like born out in the numbers. It's born out in the eye test. When he's taking what I would describe as quality looks from three, he's making a lot of them, and that's positive. Like, is he always going to shoot 8 of 13 from three? No, he's not. But the stroke looks good when he's uh, squared up and in rhythm, and that the results have been great there. Um, three of ten on twos is still like not great. You know his two point shooting this year has still been a little bit below average, particularly when he's away from the rim. But Cam's three point shooting has been a huge development. Um, he gave them a ton and probably helped them stay in the game. Honestly, for a lot of portion of the second half, you know Trey was good as well. But when he cooled off, Cam made a bunch of shots. Uh, did have four turnovers and no assists, which is not exactly the ratio that you would want for a guy with the ball in his hands. But 40 minutes, 33 points, you can't argue with that at all. You know, Cam was, Cam was quite good in this game. Defensively, he didn't really have the answers against uh, the DeRozan-Levine combination, but nobody did, so I'm not going to pick on Cam for that either. So obviously a good night to the office for Cam, and uh, much, much more in terms of uh, encouragement offensively. You know, I think it's a little bit more um, coincidental that it came with him starting. And there's been a lot made of like, as soon as Cam started, he had this great run, which is, that's true. Um, but he was kind of thrust into that role because of, you know, roster situations, not because of, uh, you know, a designed plan. I uh, will be interested to see how they handle his minutes as guys return because Cam has been playing a ton and playing well, but we'll see what happens there. But I think just unequivocally a positive night at the office for Cam. Um, that's enough on that game in terms of the individual stuff in this game. But, uh, you know, long story short, good offense, not so great defense. It's been the theme of the season. It's been the theme of this game. And if that's what transpired, with a, a, I would say a giant hat tip to the perimeter shot making of the Bulls. Uh, from here, the Hawks don't play another home game until January 
12th. More than two weeks away for the Hawks now. They play six games in the road, uh, six games on the road in a row, I should say. It's tough to say. Um, including a trip to Chicago for a rematch on Wednesday. So, uh, fingers crossed if you're a Hawks observer that some of these guys will come out of the protocols between now and then. It would be useful to have a, clear, a more clear roster. You know, guys who went in early, like Gallinari, might be the first ones out, but not always. Uh, obviously, things can be fluid based on uh, people's body and their reactions to COVID. So, be patient. Obviously, this is brutal, brutal for the Hawks to be facing this kind of stretch without all these guys, but hopefully they'll have a little bit more uh, clarity by Wednesday. Uh, going on the road to Chicago is a tough test, for sure. The Hawks will not be favored in that game unless something uh, weird happens on the injuries with Chicago um, and or they get a lot of guys back. But uh, a winnable game, as I would, I would describe that as. And then on Friday, they play in Cleveland. Cleveland's been awesome this year as well. So a tough little stretch here. And then they go to the West Coast from there. So it's not as brutal as that early stretch was on the West Coast when they were playing Golden State and Phoenix and all these really good teams. The schedule is a little bit more uh, lenient in terms of the uh, West Coast trip that begins that begins 2022. But still, six in a row on the road here. Uh, I think it's not exactly uh, breaking news to say they've been uh, not playing well at home, but it's been a little bit of noise in there too. So they got to get some wins in the near future to reach their goals this season. Um, that's going to be hard to do if they don't have the full roster complement. So it's kind of a perfect storm right now for the Hawks. That goes without saying, but hopefully that's um, you know they'll have a closer proximity to the roster, and uh, that'll be the, that's what, dictate, what dictates things between now and Wednesday and into Friday. So, um, no podcast, I don't think, between now and Wednesday. I am on the road. It's the holiday season. I'm still delivering uh, three or four podcasts this week, probably four podcasts this week, but um, nothing between games. I will, again, push you to what I talked about with Glenn Willis on yesterday's podcast, about an hour long. If you missed that, good driving podcast. Lots of wide-ranging Hawks talk, not really breaking down a single game, just like talking about what's transpiring this year, some Bulls talk, and again, they play the Bulls again on Wednesday. So um, a weird kind of home-and-home home situation, and then that's still in the archive. Please subscribe to the podcast as well. It's been uh, very, very gratifying to have all the people supporting this podcast over the last calendar year, and really since I launched the podcast more than five and a half years ago at this point. But please subscribe. Please tell your friends about the show. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to for the latest updates on the Hawks at BT Roll and follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And uh, we'll see you all after the game on Wednesday.